On June 4th, 2004, a muffler repairman named Marvin Hemeyer said goodbye to his repair shop in the manliest way possible. He drove a custom-fitted, armored bulldozer through the wall. Then he turned his homemade tank on his mortal enemy, the man who had fought and won the rights to build a concrete mixing plant on Marvin's property. Marvin destroyed the concrete plant while the owner and his friends tried to shoot, stab, and ram Marvin's destruction machine off its treads. But Marvin's kill dozer couldn't be stopped. Over the course of the next two and a half hours, Marvin would use his armored bulldozer to wreck 13 buildings around the small town of Granby, Colorado. He would also damage a truck, destroy part of a utility service center, and knock out the natural gas to the center of town. All told, Marvin would incur approximately $7 million in damages. Police, sheriffs, SWAT tried to stop the rampage multiple times, but the armor Marvin used to modify his bulldozer was impervious to bullets and conventional explosives. And as far as SWAT could tell, there was no way to get inside the homemade tank and no way to pull Marvin out. That's because Marvin designed his revenge machine without any doors or hatches. Once the armored shell of tool-grade steel and concrete was lowered over the bulldozer body, there was no way for Marvin to get out again. For Marvin Hemeyer, this was going to be a one-way mission, a mission for revenge. Later, as the news clips of Marvin's rampage circulated, his machine would be dubbed Kill Dozer. Today, we're talking about the stresses that led to Marvin's breaking point all the way to the first moment when he drove Killdozer through the wall of a shop and into the town of Granby, population 1864. You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment and all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Todd Laments, the extrovert. And I'm the writer, researcher, and introvert, Joe Anthony, whose job it is to dig through the outer layer of no duh on the internet and get us to the juicy facts. Today we're talking about micro stresses, the little insidious day-to-day stresses that can add up to deplete you emotionally and challenge your values. We'll mostly focus on identifying microstress for this episode, but if you want to hear about stress management and how stress affects you as a leader, I encourage you to check out episode 5 in our archive, Franklin Roosevelt and Stress. When we complain about stress, we tend to focus on big stress events in our lives, getting fired, breaking up with our boyfriend or girlfriend, taking the kids to the doctor, getting bad news from the doctor. But overall life stress, 
the stress that saps us and leaves us unmotivated and cranky, that comes from thousands of little stress cuts we receive throughout the day, doesn't it? Well, our three myths are all about micro-stress and how we often don't give these little stresses their credit in ruining our lives. Myth one, if you find yourself wishing you had more time or more energy throughout the day, that's a motivation problem, right? There's no way micro-stress can be zapping our capacity that much. Myth two, if you find yourself snapping at your spouse or being impatient with a client, that's an emotional problem, pure and simple. Myth three, finally, if you find your values or your identity feeling eroded, that is a moral failing, right? There's no way micro-stresses could affect our core values. We're going to define micro-stress and discuss how micro-stress can strain your health. But first, I want to tell Joe about the stress that led to Marvin Hemeyer building his kill dozer. So I know we start our podcast with wild stories that, that kind of strain credulity. Um, <laughs> this one sounds nuts even for us. So so this is real, right? Yeah, it the, sounds like fiction. but uh... the, the homemade tank bulldozer. That's that's crazy. Where, where, where'd this come from? So stop this recording. There's YouTube apps. Just uh, Google or YouTube Killdozer. The entire rampage was filmed. And it's really fun to watch. There's also a Netflix full documentary. It's like an hour and a half called Tread, which is awesome, awesome documentary. <laughs> so, so we didn't make this up. So you can get the, the uh, dramatic reenacting, or you can just go to YouTube and see the police videos, basically. That's awesome. Both. It, it's a great story. The story is as, as good as the destruction, how he got to there. So it's it's the, um, the the amateur version of uh, car destruction that they have at like monster truck rally, except with a killdozer. That's right. Now I talked about our, our hero here or our villain, depending on how you see it, Marvin Hemeyer. Now he was a small town, a population of less than two thousand people. He was a muffler repairman, and he was an entrepreneur. He owned his own muffler repair shop. So he wasn't like a military man. He was a builder. He was just a hands-on, blue-collar. He bought the property for his muffler shop. He lived there the better part of his life for $50,000 at auction. And this is where all the problems started. He ran his business for years, and there came an easement that he would have to hook up to power um, the sewer to the city. And this was going to end up costing him $80,000. Okay, so just just to clarify for me, an easement is... um Use of the land that's not yours. Okay, okay. So they so, were going to dig his way from, like, his shop to the road to, to hook up, basically? Over someone else's property. Okay, okay. So this caused all kinds of trouble. The battle started with the other local business owners, the city council, the local government. And this started Marvin on his dissension, his micro-stresses. Okay. So, so this easement battle and how he took it to the city that was he felt like he was being bullied he was getting the runaround he was getting the raw end of the deal because he was dealing with more established people in the politics of the community 
and more financially sound people in the community. Okay. We all know how it feels to not have control of something. This was his business. This was his livelihood. Now, I want to ask you something. Have you ever lived in a small town, population 1,000 to 2,000? Uh, a couple times, yes. Okay. Well, tell me if you think this is true. There's a big difference. Like, we live in a big city. Well, a big city for us, Portland. When something major happens in your city, you don't really have a real connection. You know that area. You used to work there. You know someone who lives there. Mm-hmm. But when you live in a small town, Joe, you literally know everybody. Right. And and everyone knows the families that are slightly better off. They've been there forever. Um, I lived in a small town where um, my cousin's family ran things. Like, like they had... Their family was huge. They had like two wings of family and fourteen people per per group, and, and they were the post office, the bar. Like they they basically ran the place. Everyone pays rent to them. Right. That's so a we, really good way of putting it. We stay even, and they get richer and richer through the generations. Right. Right. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because in this city, there was the Thompson brothers, and their grandfather and their dad. They were like third generation money. So they, they had streets named after them, that kind of stuff. They did. They ran the city council. They were the po- the political power, not along with just the money. They had bought things in the 60s and 70s and never sold them. Okay. So they had businesses, but really their businesses was just owning everything. Got it. Okay. And this is who he was fighting against. Oh. So the the to, to talk economy for a second... Um, if you are sort of like a landowner and and you have property, you get your money by fining people or, or by renting things to them. So I, I can kind of see this coming together. So they, they were going to the, the, the plan was nickel and dime Marvin, basically. Marvin was a very successful man, but he found that all his time was spent at these meetings in courtrooms with attorneys suing, counter suing. He felt like he was being bullied, and he wasn't going to have it. Now, the really cool thing about the Netflix uh, documentary is he made an audio mm-hmm. of his whole thought process as he as he ramped himself up to do this. And he was just a good old boy. <laughs> you know okay. what I mean? Just a Colorado cowboy. So he sounded like a muffler repairman. <laughs> he did. And, w- and one of my favorite things was he said was, he said, people are snickering at me. He felt like a kid being bullied in school. He was absolutely humiliated. Okay. I, I can see that weighing on somebody, too, because if they're giving him the runaround, I, I mean, we're, we're going to be talking a lot about micro-stress, but so much micro-stress we're going to focus on comes from other people. So I can see that just wearing him down. And as this went on, his anger escalated. And it started to affect his judgment and probably his interpretation of what was happening to him. Right. But in his world, it was real. Okay. Uh, and, and to remind everybody again, the, the documentary uh, is Tread, and that's on Netflix. So, Joe, tell me how micro-stresses work and what would lead to him getting so burned out. The micro-stress article I want to talk about, um, the first section here, we're just going to define it and talk about what micro-stress does to you. And this comes from a Harvard Business Review article called Don't Let Micro-Stresses Burn You Out. 
It's by Rob Cross and Gene Singer and Karen Dillon. And most of our episode today, uh, our facts are coming from this article. Um, it's less scientific than we often get into on the show, um, but I found it really valuable, especially as an introvert. Um, you may not know this as an extrovert, Todd, but um, social interactions can cause friction throughout the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, just, I want everyone to know this. Along with the, the reading we do and the bouncing this stuff off and the studying, we also go talk everyone's ear off, whether they're interested or not on these things. And one thing I've noticed about this episode, when I say it's the little things, I get everybody shaking their head and wagging their tail right away. That's a really good way of putting it. Uh, um, it it's, it's one of those, microstresses is a subject that everyone almost immediately sees the value in it uh, um, without quite being able to identify it. If I talk to people about microstress without this article on my hip, um, they will nod, but then I ask them, where do your microstresses come from? I've done this with, with you know my family. And a lot of them, they struggle. They, they don't know how to describe the microstresses in their life. Um, so a lot of the service we're doing today is, is through this article. And again, I really, really encourage people to check it out by Harvard Business Review. It's, it's the article about microstress. This helps you define your microstresses. And once you define them, once you, once you can identify where they are in your life, you can start changing them. You can start, you know setting up a plan, realizing where those friction moments come from. Um, to, to put it back to Killdozer and Marvin, if Marvin had taken sort of a chart of his day and, and looked at, uh, here are the moments, here are the interactions that are slowly killing my soul, <laughs> that are driving me to uh, build an armored tank, um, he may have, you know, uh, be able to prevent uh, blowing his lid in such a magnificent fashion. Although it would have been less entertaining for us. Uh, I <laughs> You'd kind find of, a better story, which I don't think we could. Right, yeah. Uh, um, ideally, we would have gone back in time and showed him how to deal with micro-stress, <laughs> but it would have been less entertaining for us. We need violence for entertainment purposes, people. Yeah. Um, so, uh, everyone, uh, please learn from this to identify micro-stress in your life, unless you're working on an armored bulldozer right now, then please continue. And I heard this, you know, I'm, I'm a just a total geek on documentaries and i heard this once from a prison documentary it's the best thing i ever heard and it's on topic it is this guy says people say they killed him over a cigarette he said it wasn't over a cigarette he owed me a cigarette i asked him for it he disrespected me it got other people saw it i got embarrassed it escalated right. and i'm thinking that that's how everything starts yeah, yeah. it's never about the one little incident it's about the buildup and the, the friction over time. So first, let's define microstress. Um, the demands made on us day to day, basically. Uh, it's bosses, clients, projects, errands, taxes, appointments, uh, negative online comments. Uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, um, I'm going to quote the article here so I don't get it wrong. Uh, quote, the volume, diversity, and velocity of relational touch points, the way we routinely communicate and collaborate with others, we all experience in a typical day is beyond anything we have seen in history. So if you feel like you are stressed, like you get these micro stresses and you're wondering, you know, hey, my grandpa was tough. Well, like my, my grandpa was, a, my, uh, this is an actual story. Uh, my great grandpa was an old welder 
and he once had a heart attack climbing a telephone pole to fix the line. He did not work for the telephone company. <laughs> so w- when I say like we've we've never faced stresses like this in our life, uh, this is something that our grandfathers did not have to deal with. They did not have to speak to literally dozens of people a day. All of them have some tiny amount of control over your life. Your package doesn't get sent unless the post office worker processes it for you. You don't get that cappuccino in the morning unless the barista does it for you. You don't get, you know, the the good raise later unless seven people okay your project in the morning. Um, so these are things that we have not really had to deal with in, in human history. More personalities, more ways to be stressed out. Right. I read another article um, that talked about uh, how millennials are are facing something called errand fatigue, which is a lot uh, about what we're talking about. Micro stresses can come from, you know, errands and and being sent to do useless tasks. How many many times do you get asked by companies now to fill out their their, their request section or their log or their uh, give them stars and reviews, things like that? Um, so they, these all uh, add into micro stresses. It's, it's anytime somebody is taking time from you or anytime people are adding social friction into your day. Now, the worst part about micro stresses is once you identify them, you start realizing how many of them you just sort of accept. Uh, uh, we get bored and dismissive when other people talk about micro stresses with us, too. That's something I've, I've noticed. I, I don't know if you've ever talked to um, uh, your wife about, you know, tiny stresses. It, it's, it's instinctive for us to want to dismiss them, to say they're too small. Like if I'm complaining about how my boss, you know, uh, comes in late every day, it's such a frequent issue. Nobody wants to hear about it anymore. And so I become dismissive of it. I start thinking to myself, don't complain. Like what, what's the point? And the same, the family stuff. You're not going to have a family meeting unless it's a, a physical pain, a health scare, or a financial burden, that's when you talk. Right. Yeah, that, that's that's when you actually have a, a powwow or a meeting. Uh, when it's tiny stuff, you're just expected to adult it, like like you bore through it. and Put on your big boy pants, big girl pants. You ever heard that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Put, put on your big boy pants. Everyone loves to hear that when they're having a bad day. Yeah, <laughs> put on your big boy pants. <laughs> but piss you off. But then you end up having that family meeting when somebody burns out. Yeah. So it it does really come back. Like like it it's it's not something that can go ignored. Micro stresses because eventually you do have people that get exhausted. And I share with you, I've I've had my some emotional breakdowns. I had a breakdown once, and we never give our emotional, our mental health the attention it needs until we have a breakdown. Yeah. It's even if it's not a a, um, a full breakdown, like like a comical, you know, go to the loony bin breakdown. Like like everyone will face at least a stress event in their life that is brought on by just compounding issues and overwhelms them. Yeah, we we won't all drive a bulldozer through the side of our building, but <laughs> or we not will talk for two months or something. But right, we we will do something that is venting micro stress, or, or we will have an indicator throughout our lives at some point when it catches up to us. For a lot of people, that indicator is going to the doctor. Um, this is from the uh, the Harvard Business Review article, which is cited from the Internal uh, Medicine Journal. Uh, quote, the prevalence of stress in primary care is high. 60 to 80% of visits have stress-related components. 
And over the past five years, 44% of Americans have reported an increase in psychological stress. Um, OSHA has also declared stress a hazard in the workplace. Um, so these are not small numbers. These aren't excusable amounts where micro stress, you know, makes 1% of us uh, have a breakdown once in our life. This is something where we're seeing people go to the doctor the majority of the time when they arrive. They have stress-related issues. They have things that are eating their health away. And it's, it's, a lot of it is this micro-stress. This is costing people and companies a lot of money. Yes, exactly. If you ever want to know uh, if we're going to cover a subject on the show... Uh, a lot of that is determined by when we look at the initial research and we realize that this is uh, has a real economic impact, even though it seems small, that usually means we're going to put it into an episode. So that's why micro stress. And money stuff is good because you can measure it. It's very hard to measure this peace of mind stuff. Right. Yeah. It, it's it, it, it. We're just starting to really uncover the data for these kind of things. Now, um, uh, Harvard Business Review, um, they they did this research and they put this article up uh, after um, researching into uh, tech companies, uh, biopharmaceuticals, finance and manufacturing, uh, and they wanted to identify the sources of micro stress. Um, and they separate those sources into three categories. So we're just going to cover what those three categories are. And then we'll talk a little bit more about Marvin and, and which of those categories he might have been suffering from. Um, and then, of course, in the next section, we'll talk about how to identify them. So first off, the three categories of micro stress. And you can think to yourself or, or, or mention if you think you've got uh, micro stresses coming from these, Todd. The first category, micro stresses that diminish personal capacity, basically time and energy. Um, you're nodding. Does that mean you have? I do. And we were talking about that. Um before the show about how we conserve energy to do creative product yes. projects. We just, you, you need a certain amount of energy to do anything outside of clocking in and out of work and dressing Absolutely. up and showing up. I, I talked to, in my personal life, I work with a lot of people who are um, editors and amateur writers. And a lot of them talk about the time and energy component that you can't be an English teacher and write a novel at the same time. Oftentimes because it is, too much energy. It's it's too much time, too much energy. The second category of micro stress is emotional reserves. And this is the one where I, I usually fall into this trap. That's um, again we'll I will identify and get granular with this in the next section, but um, emotional reserves is is a tough one for me. Uh, the third one is micro stresses that diminish identity and values. Um, that seems like the most extreme category for me, um, but I've seen people go through that. Uh, I've seen family members go through that. I've seen people where the stress wears on them so much and for so long, they end up becoming a different person. Um, and I've, I'm been betting the, Marvin. I've been at the point in relationships where um, the stress gets to me, so I would say and do things that I would never do. That I hadn't thought about that. That is a really good way of putting it. Uh, yeah, you, you become a different person if, if a relationship gets too stressful. You look back on you're horrified you did it. You almost didn't believe you said that. Right. was so nasty and vile or did that. You just didn't think you were capable of it. Right. You think at the end of it, that's not me. And I, uh, yeah, 
it's almost like it came out of somebody else. Well, we'll get to the um, the three types of stress and, and how to identify them in a more granular way uh, after we hear about how Marvin stopped coping uh, or, or stopped coping with stresses and started coping with um, a little crafting project on the side. Well, Marvin said, now I told you there, in the audio there, you could hear his own voice. Well, as he's telling his story in his own words, towards the end, He's starting to get worked up. When he goes through the process of all these court cases, his back's against the wall. He's losing money. He's losing his business. He's losing control. He's being laughed at by everybody. He made one last quote. He said, you picked on the wrong man. Wow. That's his will. That's how determined he is. Now, something about Marvin once, he was a muffler. He's a mechanic, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not all he was. He wasn't a typical welder. He'd been doing this since he was a little boy, and he was pushing 50. His friends said they could bring him any piece of metal, and he could turn it into anything they wanted. He was a fabrication welding wizard. That's awesome. He had well over his 10,000 hours, so he was an expert in this. So he went out, and he bought a big bulldozer. Now, this is a small town. And bulldozers aren't common for people who have muffler <laughs> shops. And you don't drive a bulldozer down the street like a Prius. Mm-hmm. It comes on a monster 18-wheeler, right? <laughs> so just to, uh, to to give us a little bit of a, a framing here, he's almost lost everything at this point. Like he has his shop and almost nothing else. And then a bulldozer comes to town. Is, am, I, am I imagining this correctly? Well, you're imagining the start. He's, he's well off. Okay. He's got about half a million dollars in the bank. That's the first thing I thought, too. Everything was being taken from him, so he had to do this. It wasn't that. It was these little things, these relationships, and this lack of control that led to this blow-up. Okay. I would think millionaires could just go away to Cabo for a while and feel better. Well, uh, Cabo or start building a tank. (laughs) So he brings in this big thing. This has got all the local... Good old boys scratching their heads. Say, what is this guy up to? Now, he picked this bulldozer. It's like, how do you pick a bulldozer? You don't know, right? Do you know right. what kind of bulldozer to get? He picked one that was with inches to fit in his shop. So the biggest <laughs> possible one that would fit in that door frame. Oh, so that was his selection process. It wasn't, here's the best bulldozer to turn into a tank. It's, mm-hmm. here's literally the biggest I can get. The biggest to do the most damage okay okay so once he got it in the shop and he put all the all the armor and everything on it that's why we said in the beginning he broke out through the shop because after he armored it out it was too big to go through the door okay so he's like i'm gonna do or die i'm going through i'm going out you know you know bruce willis style right smashing up his his shop on his way out so this is a man he worked his day doing his mufflers he would stay up all night working on this um, bulldozer, kill dozer in secret. He put up these drop cloths. He stayed up paranoid. He didn't take showers. He made a little, like, it, I, I looked at the video. He made, like, a little homeless shelter and hood, cooked TV dinners and worked on covering up all the vulnerable areas of it. Hmm. Now, I've, I've seen pictures of this bulldozer tank, 
it what it almost reminds me of is that sand crawler from Star Wars. <laughs> it's big, it's dark, it's ugly, like it, it, it it's it's rectangular with all these jutting edges. <laughs> well that's what I thought. When I first did the reading, I was expecting a transformer. Yeah. This beautiful, you know what I mean, sexy looking <laughs> stuff. This is just for functional. This is not a Hollywood handsome armor job. Right, yeah. right. He wasn't trying to win any contest. Oh, it looks menacing. Yeah. So he obsessed for hours, worked around the clock, 24 hours a day. Um, he put in gun ports, armor. He poured cement in between the armor. Now, he, he didn't want to be able to get shot out of it because you sit in a bulldozer, you're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So he was in a different part of it, and he used five cameras p- positioned around it. He had ports with with uh, guns coming out of it, so there was no way to get him. So he was fully sealed in. Like, he if was. he doesn't have windows, if he's just got these little uh, camera ports, there's nothing coming in at him. Exactly. Wow. Okay. So do you want to talk about how to not become Marvin Hemeyer? <laughs> I don't have the, the, the uh, I'm not handy enough to do that. <laughs> uh, well, yes, I want to, I don't want to do whatever I would do. Well, here's, here's, here's the offer I'm making. Uh, um, we can learn about how to uh, identify micro stresses or we can just start building our tank. <laughs> I'm okay with either. We can't afford it, unfortunately. That, oh, that is true. Yeah, we, we would have to. Ours would be a very cheap version of the Killdozer. We would have like a sedan with like just layers of cardboard. <laughs> we, we use a Corolla. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so now that we know that micro stress is an issue and that it can negatively affect our health and our life, uh, do you want to get into identifying our stresses? Yes, and not stresses in other people, but the ones that affect us directly. Right. Yeah, so these are these are not the big events. These are the tiny uh, cuts that will slowly, um, well, I was going to say like Marvin, drive you into making a tank, but more likely it will drive you to go to the hospital or, or eventually have um, some sort of medical issue. Lose a job, lose a relationship. Right. Permanently <clears throat> damage your career or some personal relationships. Yes. Um. I'm going to quote HBR again. Uh, Quote, Traditional advice on coping with negative or stressful interactions doesn't work because micro-stresses are deeply and invisibly embedded in our lives. The idea is that micro-stresses, because they are such a small, consistent part of our interactions, um, they really happen too fast and too small for us to uh, give them the proper due. First off, we don't usually recognize them when they happen. We just move past them because we're adults. And the second part is um, nobody wants to hear about it because to frame a a micro-stress into a story means telling them basically a 30-minute long-winded ramble about how your boss treats you every day. Whining. Whining, yes, whining. Oh, that that that. There's the word that we got to it. There's nothing more attractive than yeah. adult whining. Exactly, we found it. We we found the word. Yeah, it's it's who who in the lunchroom is bothering you again, and nobody <laughs> wants to hear about that. But but they they really add up. Um, now the the uh, Harvard Business Review, uh, their article, um, they have a, a chart. It, it's like a, a fill it out follow the blanks chart which i found very handy 
Um, so their micro stresses chart, I was surprised to find most of them have blanks for other people. So a lot of the micro stresses, uh, I get the feeling from their chart that a lot of it is caused by social friction. So um, going back to our, our three uh, micro stresses, our, our three big categories, um, one is uh, personal capacity, emotional reserves, and identity and values. So we're going to go through these and we're going to talk about the little stresses that are, are in this and in this chart. Again, you can download the PDF and fill it out for yourself. It will help you identify uh, micro stress in your life and where to, where to avoid them, basically. So micro stresses that drain your personal capacity. These are the unspoken tensions uh, in the ways we work with our colleagues, uh, also known as adult whining, as Todd put it, which I like that a lot. Um, these usually come from misalignment of roles and priorities, um, so if your, your boss doesn't put you in the right role or you're not given the right position for something you're working on. Um, unpredictable bosses. This is the one I suffer from the most. Um, my boss uh, literally will just come into work uh, 20 or 30 minutes late, sometimes as much as an hour late, doesn't really give any uh, warning. Um, and it, it's, it's one of those things where I always have something to occupy my time. I always have something to write. Um, but it's, it's, it drives me insane. Because you need to get your stuff done. You need them to get there and right. get signed in. It's, it's inconveniencing you. And this was all a trick so I could whine about my boss on a podcast. <laughs> oh, God. I uh, fell for it. <laughs> you fell for it, yeah. Uh, another one that falls into the category of personal capacity is poor communication norms. Now, I'm going I'm to say that one again. Poor communication norms, because it's not just poor communication. It's you set up a system, a norm with your uh, coworkers where you guys miscommunicate or engage in a poor communication regularly. And that can be very draining. Uh, one example I could think of for this is I had a guy that would come in every day at work and we would talk about James Bond for like 30 minutes. It, it just happens to be one thing we could both connect on because we had seen so many movies and I realized that it didn't do anything for either of us socially. We didn't learn from it. It, it, it. At some point, we were just yelling quotes at each other. It didn't help. Um, that was a norm that I fell into, and I'm sure other people have those. And back on this, you sports fans, us football fans will do that. We'll talk about football to another football fan, and we're not even listening to what they're saying, their points. Yeah. We're just blabbing out. We have to empty our <laughs> well of how smart we are about football. And once we get our system, but it can be pretty time consuming and a waste of everybody's time. Yeah. There, there, I think everyone who works in an office, um, they end up with that. The default, uh, jokes, the default, uh, uh, communications you rely on. And if you're not thinking about them, if they're, if you're not gaining anything out of that, I think that is setting up a poor, a poor communication norm. But the social pressure to engage in them. Yeah. That's always present. Uh, our big, uh, our, our second big category. These are micro stresses that diminish emotional reserve. Um, basically, things that diminish your emotional reserve. Usually, those are uh, worrying for people we care about, uncertainty about the impact of our actions. Uh, basically, when you think about um, who can make you worry, when, when you when you joke about you know the kids are making me drink, uh, this is this is the micro stress we're talking about. 
Um, these can be confrontations with other people, uh, which can be stressful. I kind of that kind of goes without saying. Um, managing others, feeling responsible for other people, mistrust in your network. I think that that last one might hit the most buttons for the most people. Um, everything else in that list is stressful. It's it's you know having to be uh, responsible and emotionally receptive to people. But the mistrust part, I, I hear about that the most when people complain about their work day. And I think that too, and that goes into fear for job security too. Yeah, that that is a really good way of putting that. It's it's when when everybody is worried for their job, you get the most amount of mistrust, and you also get the most amount of social friction. Some backstabbing and yeah, you know. everyone wants to continue being pleasant while they also know that they have to be competitive to keep their job. They need to throw you to the bus, too. So hopefully they fire you first. Right. So they yeah. engage that to when they're going to get fired. And I really wish when people handed out, like, um, uh, birthday cards in the office, they actually just sat on the inside, you know, uh, hope you're ready for the bus. Like, <laughs> be truthful in a card yeah. once in a you while. You won't see another one of these in this office. Right. We're going to sing your happy last birthday, birthday to you. here. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy your sheet cake and your card. You're going to the bus next. So our third category of micro-stresses that we want to identify, and again, if you fill these out in a card or if you just write them down, it helps so much. Like writing it down, getting these on a list helps. Micro-stresses that diminish identity and values. Basically interactions that challenge your sense of self. Um, the rest of these seem more common as micro-stresses to me, but these ones seem like the most damaging, I think. Uh, one of them is uh, pressure to pursue goals outside of one's values. Um, so that's like the parent who uh, forces their kid into a college they don't want or a career path they don't want. Um, that's a major stress. That, that sounds like a major event, but really that happens slowly and with micro-stresses. Um, somebody who's doing that to their kid, they, they do it over time. They, they, they drop hints about their alma mater. Or they, they drop hints about what career they should be getting. Or they, they keep reminding them of job openings that they don't want. Or comparing them to the other siblings. You know, your brother was an Eagle Scout and he got a, a scholarship. And then right. you start feeling that pressure along the way. I um, my, my poor brother, he got compared to me a lot because I was uh, I like to study. And so he, uh, he, he was under nonstop micro stress. Every the, report card. Yeah, it, it did exactly this. The, when we talk about diminishing their identity, oh my, yeah, no, his that comparison did not serve him. Um, another one, uh, another source of this micro stress, diminishing identity and values, someone undermining our worth or confidence, and again, that can happen uh, slowly and, and with micro stresses. This this actually this directly reminds me of uh, Marvin. Uh, our, our, our tank builder, um, somebody undermining his worth or confidence. Literally, they were uh, um, messing with his business and his confidence about how he'd be able to run it in the future. I mean, he wasn't connected to the sewer line. And as an entrepreneur in a small town, I mean, everyone's career is who they are, you know? Yeah. But when your business, that is you, and that's all you've ever done. Exactly. It is, it is a personal attack. Yeah, it's, it's his identity. 
finally, um, disruptions in our network. That's another type of identity and values micro stress that can uh, slowly diminish you. Um, disruptions in our network, I think they, they mean mostly social network. And so that that's just um, anything that will uh, take people out of your network or make it to where communication is more difficult. Um, move somewhere and realize that it's hard for you to uh, call your son regularly or your daughter or, you know, you, you start having problems where you can't communicate with somebody on an emotional level. So there's any disruptions in our network, I think. Um, we're going to talk about coping mechanisms in our last segment. Um, after we hear a bit more about Marvin's coping mechanism, which is revenge. And that's a great coping mechanism, I think. <laughs> Well, Marvin said, like he said, they mess with the wrong man. So finally, after his months and months of build, in the middle of the day, he busts out of this shop, killed Dozer. Now, what's funny to me was the 911 call start coming in. <laughs> so people are trying to describe this, kind of like we're trying to do to you. Mm-hmm. You have to see it. Right? So they're, they're saying this, and the you can see the 911 operator's like, what? <laughs> 911 calls, if you've ever listened to them in real life, they're um, almost never accurate. They always, they come in pieces. People are like, I don't know exactly what I saw. I saw flashes and pops. So like, yeah, yeah it, people describing a, a self-built tank, that would be a hilarious call. Now remember, this is rural America, and this is Colorado Cowboys. So the neighboring businesses, they see this tank thing, bulldozer coming out. Well, they're not, they're not just going to run. I mean, like I would do here in the city. Right. <laughs> i get the hell out of Dodge. They pulled pistols and started firing. <laughs> Shoot at the tank. Yeah, they were starting to stick things. And some of the guys had, like, military experience. So they said, go for the track. Go for the track. So they're getting, like, these these poles, and they're trying to stick them in there. But Marvin was ready for that. He was prepared for this. I really appreciate that. Uh, coming from a, 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 a bit of a redneck family, I like the idea of the scrappy old guys in flannel attacking a tank with basically sticks. That's amazing. <laughs> That's exactly what they did. To me, they look like an angry like, um, flannel shirt wearing monkeys. They climbed up on the bull. <laughs> the thing's moving all about one mile an hour. This is not a fast bulldozer, by the way. Right. Okay, so if you're feeling the Hollywood, I mean, what nice, slow, and steady. <laughs> So they're climbing up there. They're trying to find a hole to dig him out of there or shoot him out of there, but it's totally sealed off. Right. And that's that's um, a special kind of stress is watching a bulldozer very slowly approach your concrete factory because that's, that's what it must have looked like from the other end. Now, another thing, too, about this being a small town. We live in Portland, Oregon, and we're having daily riots now in our city so there's parts of the city where businesses and things have been burned down and and we feel for the shop owners and the people who live in those areas we do but when you live in a town of 1800 people the small downtown business are all mom and pop owned it isn't jc penny targets nordstrom's they are local businesses and so your kids work there you've known these places your whole life so him attacking this with his bulldozers is literally like tearing the city apart. Yeah, he's he's going after livelihoods. So he first tears up his competitors. He went to the Thompson brother, uh, brothers' houses, smashed those down. He had a map, took care of the concrete plant. Then he headed for Town Hall, 
which was one of the center of most of his pain, where his courthouse hearings were. And there were kids there. There was a daycare going on. And so it just made me sick to think that he would even think that's okay. So they had to evacuate the thing, but it, they almost got damaged with kids and, and all the workers and the day, the people that work in the, there on the staff. Oh, wow. I, I was going to ask, how many people uh, died during his rampage? Nobody died. Oh, okay. Well, that... Well, I, one person died. Right, Marvin. Um, sorry, <laughs> hey, don't give away the history. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was, I just, I was worried there because you mentioned the kids, and I was like, oh yeah, these buildings must have had people in them at some point. My favorite one of all the rampage, though, they have a news station there. It's like a rural ABC, CBS, like their their hub there, mm-hmm. and they have reporters on there who who will be on every night, the five o'clock news, doing local news. He had to write for the news station. <laughs> so this is the first time ever. Their biggest story ever came right to them. Right. So they had to get out of the news station to video. And they're taping <laughs> their news station getting their smashed. News station. And they smashed right through their news station. Just demolished <laughs> it. Yeah. That's amazing. Free press. We didn't do that for the show. Get some real press. We need to anger a bulldozer uh, muffler repairman is what needs to happen. <laughs> so they tried everything. They tried to pry him out of it. There was no way to get at him. They tried these flash, uh, these flashbang explosives, grenades. That the the SWAT work. team did? They did. So okay. they, had, they had all the different kind of. My Another one, too, is they found other bulldozers and tried to joust with it. Okay. So bulldozer after bulldozer went after his, and he just ran those things right off the ground. They, they weren't up for it. They weren't heavy enough. Got it. Well, he picked the biggest one he could fit in his shop, and then it's armored on top of that. And so. then added thousands and thousands of pounds. Okay. These other bulldozers are actually made for work, not for, for this crap, right? What's what's a, um, a, a driving app that gives you directions? The GPS? Yeah, I, I just really want to imagine a GPS in his tank with him, and every time he turns into a building, it just doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> like, take the next left, and he's, like, in somebody's front lawn. Well, I'll spoil this. When he was done, it looked like a tornado and a hurricane had a party. I mean, there were trucks <laughs> up in trees. I mean, he really tore it up. The, another funny thing to me about it was all the spectators, because it was moving so slow, we're following it around like the circus. Like it was like um, a seating area. So they're watching all this. Oh my god! Yeah, it, it would it would be like uh, I mean it would be like a protest. I, I would uh, I would be there like <laughs> a bulldozer. I can outrun a bulldozer. I would want to watch it. So the mayor of this town was they called the national guard. He was moments away, minutes away from calling in a missile strike. Oh, from like the. From the military? Yeah, the Air Force or something. Whoever's got a... <laughs> okay. What would have that done to town? Like, that would have leveled some more buildings, right? I think it would have just taken him out. I think they could probably land those things on a dime nowadays. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow, so no bunker buster for him. Well, I I like the notion of uh, uh, coping with stress by, by building a death machine. Um, but do you want to talk uh, coping techniques if you don't have the budget to armor out a bulldozer? Absolutely. Okay, well, as we put it, uh, uh, arts and crafts is a good way of dealing with micro-stress, but um, doesn't always have to be on a, a vehicle of this tonnage. 
So first to really get into this, um, let's make this into sort of an exercise. Um, we, we've talked about our own little micro-stresses, um, and, and that kind of saves us a little bit of setup. Um, Todd, what's something in your life that we've already talked about that is, is a continued micro-stress for you? Not getting enough sleep. Okay, that's a good one. That that's surely falls into the category of uh, the first category, which is things that diminish your energy. Um, I am going to go with that one I talked about where I get myself roped into conversations that are meaningless in the office. They don't go anywhere. They eat up both of our time, and we're just being polite. So that's my micro-stress I'm going to focus on. Yours will be sleep. Um, so first off, as um, the Harvard Business Review puts it, um, talking about these micro-stresses um, may not be helpful because it's really just complaining or, or, as we put it, whining. Um, and it can take 30 minutes to describe the history and context for something that may or may not make you feel better. So instead of dragging our spouses into boring, unending stories that just roll over from one day to the next, Todd and I are going to solve these right here in real time. Um, so step one, uh, once you have uh, these written out, once you've written down, okay, here's something I can identify. Uh, first step is to isolate and act on two or three micro-stressors. Todd and I are only going to focus on one apiece because uh, we're a little bit busy right now. We've got um, computer screens all around us. Um, so we're going to do one, but we encourage you to use this list, uh, use this worksheet if you can, and, and do a couple of them. And do take an inventory of this. I think you're going to be surprised when you just break down the kids the spouse, the work, the friends, and everything, you're going to be surprised how many you have. Real talk, I, I did this before we came in to do the episode. I actually filled out a sheet. I had 19. I did not expect that. Um, so I, I picked the biggest three, but among those three, it's it's getting into roped into meaningless conversations that eat up time. and uh, that, that's, that sounds like such a, a jerk, micro-stress thing to focus on, but... Um, I, th I believe in, in quality discussion over um, killing time with sports or James Bond talk. So. Yeah, easy up on the sports. <laughs> <laughs> if, you if you choose to eat up time by having a good conversation, that's totally fine. I, I mean, like, you know, social friction. That's what we're focusing on. So first, um, of your list, it's going to be a big list, trust me. Isolate and act on two to three micro-stressors. Um, things that you've considered normal in your life, things that you have decided to sort of just bear uh, and, and to roll with because you're an adult, um, pick two or three, identify them, uh, and when you have distance and time and a list, start making a plan to deal with those. Um, tackle a couple at a time, and then that list will just slowly diminish as you do this. Invest in relationships and activities that keep less consequential micro-stresses in perspective. So for, for Todd's sleep thing, uh, um, I would recommend, I mean, like, Todd's really good at making um, uh, quality friends that will give him good advice and, and I think help aid him. Um, so just, I, I suppose, once you identify that something is keeping you awake, um, I, I suppose that would just be eliminating the activity or whatever social uh, activity is keeping you from that. 
And it can be a lot of the micro stresses from your work things that you're giving too much time to. Yes. Um, I was just about to say um, some micro stresses come from well-meaning sources, uh, friends that want you to go out and have a drink during a work day. Uh, um, you know, people that, that want to send you a, a quick email at 9 p.m. Uh, it, it can be, you know, Facebook. Somebody is you're, you're catching up with them. Um, the, and Joe gets asked to work on a lot of creative products, being the writer that he is. And what what we're getting to here is being able to say no to people yes. that we love. Being able to say no to people you love so you can get a good night's sleep or being able to tell them uh, no for right this moment, uh, that you, you cherish them and you respect them and you just need to hold off with them until morning. And most of these are things that we know we can say no to. We already know we can be an adult and say uh, not now, but we don't want to because it's fun to engage with other people. And we want to, you know, be a good friend. And we're getting some pleasures out of these. Uh, yes. So we're just as guilty as this. This is not all external. A lot of this is internal. Right. We wouldn't accept social friction if it was all bad. We, we engage in social friction because uh, it comes with a lot of benefits. Um, so when you have a diversity of friends and contacts that can put your stress into perspective... My best example of this, um, I had a, a friend from a Toastmasters meeting, and she was from uh, uh, East Africa, and she came from a very poor village, and she talked about how, um, my favorite story of hers is she talked about the first time she came to a grocery store, and there was such a diversity of food on offer, and just so many brands lined up and colorful in front of her. And she, she used to talk about how awesome picking out ice cream was. Yeah. Of all the brands and all the foods, she loved just standing in the ice cream aisle and picking out, you know, between flavors. I know what Joe's talking about. If you've ever had someone from a third world move here for the first time, they have their first world first. And it's fun to be there and see it. Yes. It's just gratitude in this purest, most beautiful form. Exactly. So we're not saying have a diversity of friends to make you feel guilty about having micro stresses. We want you to have a diversity of friends because it will make you realize what your problems are and how big they are and how much they're diminishing you. It'll let you know what to work on. I think give you some perspective. Yes, perspective is always good. I think if our hero here would have had a few more friends to bounce things off of, there would have been other ways to handle this. Yes, I, I hate to say this, but um, uh, Marvin Hemeyer was probably just surrounded by uh, very similar-minded Coloradoans. I don't know what they call themselves. I made that up. <laughs> Coloradians. Um, but, but but I imagine everybody is just snowmobiling to work and uh, it, it basically just working in a gravel pit somewhere. <laughs> I'm going to be attacked by people from Colorado. I was going to say, but... I, wanna, I have nothing to do. I don't want to apologize, Colorado. For... <laughs> Joe said that. <laughs> uh, they can come at me. They they've, they they had their town bulldozed, so they're, they're going to have to drive to me very slowly in tractors. Um, so our our next method for uh, um, working out micro stress for diminishing it: distance yourself from stress creators or stress activities. Um, it's pretty easy to identify people who cause stress directly, but like we said, well-meaning people. 
who are in your life uh, personally who, who can cause emotional friction and don't necessarily intend to. Uh, like we said, people who will go out drinking uh, and invite you. Um, people who don't necessarily respect boundaries. Um, I, I've got lots of friends uh, who we practice good boundaries, but they themselves do not have a good sense of boundaries. So they will invite me to do things or they will they will come and ask you know for time for things. And I want to do it. Uh, and oftentimes I will, even though I have other responsibilities. And this is the one, too, where it's easy to see this. And I'll just take an example for our kids. We don't like them hanging around certain friends. And we have our reasons. But don't we do that as an adult? We kind of justify <laughs> the bars and the this. Is, is that the kind of people we want to be hanging around with? That is a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. But, yeah, we it's so obvious when we're looking at, at kids and teenagers. And we can see immediately hey, you shouldn't be hanging out with that guy because he's robbing you of your time and getting you to do things that are um, counterproductive. And then we turn around as adults, we find those same people. Yeah, we, we, we write it off to blowing off steam or I deserve to have some fun. We, right. call, it different, we call it different things, but they're probably not the people we should be spending that much time with. Right. It's like, oh, but it's a coworker or a neighbor. I'm, I'm investing in, in social bonds. It's the boss. It's, yeah. yeah. So once you've got your list, once you can start working on those individual pieces per list, really your, your life can become less stressful in a meaningful way because these tiny parts get cut out. You add them together. Like I said, my list was 19, and I do not live a stressful life. I live a, you know, I've got a very predictable, prosaic life. And there's 19 things on that list where I realize I was I was eating away at my time and my values slowly. There's Labrador retrievers that would love to come back and be Joe's life to to take a day <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, there um, Buddhist monks would like to uh, uh, reincarnate as me. So um, very slow breather this guy is. Right. <laughs> So uh, when I say that uh, I live an unstressful life and I found 19 micro stresses to eliminate, everyone is going to have their own list and everyone is going to find something on there that they can work on. But write them down and identify them. It will be the first step and it's going to help. Absolutely. Yes. So do you, do you mind if we, uh, I mean, I already spoiled a little tiny bit of it talking about how many people died during the Killdozer Rampage. Um, how did it end for, for Marvin? The ending. So Marvin, like I said, he mapped out all of his targets, and they were all his enemies. He didn't hit anybody that he didn't plan on it. Mm-hmm. So he knows the hand like the back of his, he knows the town like the back of his hand. He was, we don't know how many more stops he had, but he was headed for the furniture store. And what he didn't know was the back part of the furniture store had a basement. So he plowed through the front half, easy breezy, and then he hit the basement, and then the the tracks came off. So he was hung up. Oh, and there's nothing he can do about that. Yeah. So the sheriffs rise. The SWAT team was there. Sheriffs were all law enforcement. Their pistols said, and the the man who was in charge of it said, "Well, there's no way this ends peacefully." Okay. This guy's going to pop out of this thing in a blaze of glory. So they're waiting, and then all of a sudden they heard just one shot. And he took a handgun, and Marvin, 
uh, blew his brains out and okay. committed suicide. So he didn't try to come out and have the, what they call it, police suicide thing. He couldn't right. get out. He, he, this was it. Oh, so they expected him to like fully pop out like a tank, but there's no hatch. Right. There's nothing but they for him to come out of. I mean, again, this went on. No one's ever seen anything like this before. They right. don't train you this at the police academy. <laughs> I, I, I guess it'd be tough yeah. to know. I mean, if the Death Star is rolling down the middle of a Colorado small town, they they can't tell it doesn't have a hatch, I suppose. And they thought maybe it was explosives inside, right? That's reasonable. Okay. I mean, you got to kind of think anything at this point. Yeah, when, when a homemade tank is rolling down the street, and all bets are off. So I can see that. But Marvin didn't kill anybody, but... He really destroyed his own hometown. Okay. He, you know, and uh, one of his friends said this, and he said, I think the guy was just really, really lonely. And he just obsessed, obsessed, obsessed. And started, what I kind of took out of it, and you kind of take both sides of it, and there's truth to both, and you blend them together. He just, he just couldn't get out of his own way. That is a really good way of putting it. And... Hopefully we can all do that a little bit by by tracking our stress. Small things add up, period. Yet we tell ourselves to ignore the little stresses, to put up with the tiny pressures put on us by others. As if being an adult means accepting the micro frictions of our daily interactions. When a boss gives us extra work without warning or explanation, we roll with it as if it's our turn. When a coworker talks us into skirting our duties or a friend wants to stay out late partying, we accept it as if it's a social tax we have to pay. And when someone, especially family or friends, undermines our confidence, we assume they're doing it out of love or positive intentions. We accept micro stresses from all corners of our lives because we believe it's part of being a grown-up, part of the package deal we signed. Like micro-stresses are inevitable, but they're not. Micro-stresses are identifiable, quantifiable, and if you buffer yourself from them and prevent them once you've identified their source. Micro-stresses may seem small and light like feathers. A nasty comment from a coworker a tasteless social media post by a friend, a boss who disrespects your time. These are practically weightless as far as stress goes. But do you know how they transport bulk feathers across country? The exact same way they ship nails or bowling balls. Take the extra time to identify micro stresses in your life. Make an action plan to avoid, dampen, or buffer yourself from the causes. And remember, anything you can do to reduce the overall stress in your life will be reflected in your physical and mental health. Unless your coping mechanism of choice is to build a bulldozer tank hybrid, in which case, there isn't much we can tell you about stress reduction, except avoid the potholes. You're listening to The Reengineered You. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You mean the world to us. We have a new episode 
every week. Connect with us at www.re-engineeredu.com where we have research links, show notes, and blog articles for each of our episodes. We also appreciate feedback, and we love spirited debate. We're not experts in anything, but we've got an opinion on everything. And speaking of opinion, would you like to uh, hear another review? Please, iTunes, five-star review. This is by 111Henry111. Henry says, great overall podcast. This is very fascinating podcast. The content is super interesting and entertaining at the same time. Highly recommend. Thank you, Henry. Yeah, thank you, Henry. That means a lot. Everyone who listens and supports the show, we appreciate it. Yeah, I'm consistently uh, overwhelmed and pleased by the by the reviews you guys give us. So thank you very much. Mm-hmm.